The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 93. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard's mm-hmm. first season, Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 1. Joining me today on the panel, our Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to uh, like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And uh, leave us a comment wherever you see us in and help us engage with our audience and to reach out to new people by sharing the podcast as you find it out there. Uh, we are going to be continuing it even after the end of this season of Star Trek Picard. We've got lots of great Star Trek content we're going to be continuing on with until Star Trek Discovery starts up and whatever else they have the new the minds behind Star Trek have planned for us going forward but we've still got lots of star trek it sounds really sinister whatever the minds (laughs) behind star trek have planned for us it's like are these the gamesters of triskelion or something they're like the borg they're going to assimilate us (laughs) so let's talk about this episode let's start by talking about the title which we briefly touched on last time but i did a little research on it Mm -hmm. uh at in arcadia ego it literally as you told us jimmy literally means uh even in arcadia there i am and or I also have been in Arcadia. Okay. It can be translated more than one way. Right, right. Uh, and in this case, it's I think it's a reference to this 17th century painting by this French painter, Nicolas Poisson. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick the there Fish. are several versions of it. Yes. Um, and his painting, it shows shepherds gather around a tomb, and one of them is tracing his shadow that's on the tomb. And... The interpretation is it's supposed to be the first act of art in history. Like it's supposed to depict that. Um, and there's this woman standing there who represents art. And Arcadia represents a utopia or paradise or a lost world of idyllic bliss, shall we say. And the I in that sentence, the there I am or I, I have been, the I is death. So even in our, even in the utopia, death is present is sort of the idea or death comes to the there are two interpretations that have been have had different in popularities in different phases of art history. Mm-hmm. Um, one is that the and death figures in both of them. But right. uh, one is that the eye is death. So even in an idyllic place, death is still there. Right. The other is that it's the person because the at the it's at ego in Arcadia or at in Arcadia ego is an inscription on a tomb. And so the other interpretation is that it's not um, death that's in Arcadia, but the dead person whose tomb it is 
used to live in Arcadia. And so um, it's either either way, it's a memento mori, a reminder of death. But there's a question about is is the I the dead person who used to be an Arcadian shepherd or is the I death itself? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The interpretation I, I saw was that, you know, that it's supposed to be that art is man's response to the inevitability of mortality, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I can see where it would be. Uh, you, you could have a couple of different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Let's talk about it in relation to this episode. I mean, I, I guess it's a. You know, that Capellius, and we'll get into some of that mm-hmm. stuff, but, uh, you know, as we go along, of course, but Capel- this world of the synths is a utopia and death is coming to it. Is is that be clearly? That's part of it, but you also got the issue, you know, of art, you know, creating art to, you know, defeat death in a way, you know, of, right. of you know, I might die, but at least my art will live on type of thing. Right. Of course, you've got the issue. Yeah. You know, in the sense, and of course, especially with the Soong android that is going to have the son of Soong, (laughs) maybe have his brains transplanted into him. Right, right. All right. So that I guess consciousness might be a better way to put that. Yeah, yeah. I guess it means we need to get into talking about the episode and and bring some of this up as we go into it. So uh, this episode does not start with a flashback. And like most of the ones we had, uh, we have this. um, we, we, they, they've traveled through the transwarp node. Remember that? We, that's how we ended before to the Julian system. And the planet is Capellius. Is it Tapalius or Capellius? Capellius. Capellius. Okay. I like how when they get there, red alert sounds without having to be told to sound. Yes. It's like, yeah. that, is, that is such a <laughs> uh, logical thing to happen. Instead of waiting, it's like shields at red alert should go off and shields should go up automatically without having to wait right. to be told. Right. When something is coming at you with the guns blazing. Yes. Because um, Narek has followed them through the, the transwarp node, as we'd seen at the end of the previous episode. And we have this. Actually, it was a pretty cool space battle. I think this this battle between La Serena mm-hmm. and uh, Narek's snakehead fighter, which is it's yeah. also a, a cool design. The Romulan fighter. Uh so they have this little space battle um, and we have seven coming to the rescue once again, bringing the board cube through the node just yep. in time to, uh, to, to, to take out uh, the uh, Narek who did a tricky Romulan. Like I'm, I'm dead. I'm not really dead. That's my holographic projection uh, fake out on them. So we had, uh, and then we have seven and the Borgs come through and then the planet attacks them. With giant space orchids, giant. which was yeah. interesting. That's kind of an interesting way to do a defense mechanism. That's for sure. Just basically grab the plant, the the ship, and drag it into the atmosphere. <laughs> right. Yeah. They they so the giant space flowers come up and grab onto the ships, and in some cases they're they're big enough to envelop the ships, but not the cube. Right. And it like takes three of them. They get on the corners of the cube, and then they drag them down through the atmosphere and deorbit them. Without saying hello, <laughs> um, just happens. And this is carrying auto. I mean, I like the automated red alert, but this is carrying automation a little too far. You should talk before you deorbit somebody. <laughs> um, well, I wonder if the idea the idea is that they they want to protect the planet by just basically you're not leaving the planet. Right. It's that simple. Like no, well, not getting the word out. Yeah, we don't want to kill you, but at the same time. You're not leaving this area. We're not even going to give you the chance to leave this area. Also, note, you know, we've commented on how there's been a flower theme 
this uh, season. And you'll remember when Soji was having her vision memory flashback thing, she couldn't see her father because the orchids were in the way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like he's on the other side of the planetary defense grid. Right, right. Orchids have play a big part in her memory of uh, that workshop in her dream, quote unquote. Also, Rios needs new uh, needs a new flint for his lighter. It's clearly getting shaky on him. <laughs> yes. He has to flick it multiple times. <laughs> yes. So Picard passes out when, you know, when they crash onto the surface and the power is completely drained and starts speaking strangely. And I thought. Um, w- w- really was he strangely? He says, thank you all for coming. Yeah. Well, I, at first I thought he was being like possessed by like a alien presence. What was yep. that? Do you do you have any idea? That was that was from his uh his defect in the, in the brain. Oh, that the doctor yeah. that Renee had had mentioned that it was flaring up that become more as, as Picard then says after he recovers that it's become more acute. And this okay. is, must be one of the symptoms is you know under high stress you pass out, you become delirious. Okay. Things like that. That wasn't clear to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was not clear, but they, I mean, not at the top moment it was happening. In hindsight, you know, right. Dr. Girardi has him down in sick bay, and she's trying to be nice about what her tricorder is telling her by saying maybe the tricorder is malfunctioning, and then that's why he outs himself as having this disease to everybody. Now, it was, when I, when I first heard the, first heard Picard say that, I thought he said, thank you for coming, number one, but according to the uh, captions, he said, everyone. Oh, okay. I have to say that the the actress who plays Agnes, she does a great job of the lip quiver, <laughs> that, like, yeah. the mm-hmm. emotional lip quiver, like she's so... and hiding underneath a desk when there's space turbulence. <laughs> yeah, Make it stop! Make it stop! <laughs> yeah, and from context, they establish she didn't know they were going into the transwarp corridor. She just knows the ship is suddenly vibrating violently, and she doesn't know why. And this is her first time. They had established this was her first time off Earth, so she doesn't know why the ship is vibrating wildly. Just that it is, and this must be like a normal thing. Apparently, I do like uh, Picard's uh, ultimatum to everyone at this point when he tells them, "Okay, this is what's going on with my brain, and I have a terminal illness." He goes, "Anyone who treats me like a dying man will run the risk of." Pissing me off. <laughs> Excuse the phrase. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's clear that Rafi is having a really hard time with that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and and in fact, she she does run that risk later on. But but in a but in a fun way, we'll get to we'll, that. Uh, I really enjoyed that that uh, scene there. Uh, so Soji uh, reveals him that this is where she was born, uh, uh, but that her um, memory of it is jumbled. So she doesn't have a uh, conveniently doesn't have a clear memory of of the place. So yep. They have to have it revealed to them. Uh, we find out that the Romulan fleet that's on its way is a day behind them. So. Um, I, I, I find it interesting at this point. I kind of I made a note. Why is no one wondering about like Narak and the cube? Like at this point, they're just kind of, you know, calmly discussing the Romulan fleet. And I'm like, you know, there was a cube and then that Romulan ship and the, that were right there. Uh, uh, they do get to it, I guess. But it was a, uh, it was kind of a uh, felt like an odd uh, moment that they, well, they weren't paying attention. The only, the only thing I could think of is just. They're, you know, they want to take stock of where they are right now. You know, you got to remember, you know, three of the the three of the five people who are talking there, former Starfleet officers. So they know the priority is, you know, (laughs) take care of yourself first and then worry about everybody else. They also established that the fleet is 218 ships. So this is not an inconsequential fleet. Yes. Yes. That's uh, yeah. The Borg uh, Borg sensors will tell us 218 
Um, and uh, because they, sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, they they get to the Borg cube. They find Elnor um, after an XB. By the way, calls Picard Lacutus and freaks him out. <laughs> yep. Uh, and um, seven. You and know, El- Elnor hugs him and says, "I'm so happy to see you," which of course is absolute candor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so, such you know, such so nice Elnor. He's so nice. He's such a nice boy. Um, He's almost kind of like a puppy dog that that bites really really hard. <laughs> yes. Um and so uh Soji goes to her old quarters and looking at her pictures and her quarters again. Um Elnor uh knows that Picard is dying and it's because somebody told him and Picard tells Elnor at this moment he's very proud of him and Elnor needs to stay with the XBs to protect them and get the right. cube's defenses online because of the Romulans that are coming on the way. So we, which, and I find it interesting that he, he keeps put, Elnor is not part of the main group here. And maybe that's mm-hmm. because uh, in the resolution of things, Elnor and Seven and the others are going to play a key role uh, by being separate from the other group. Yeah, just looking at the logic of it. So all of the ships that came down are damaged and they give, the sense are going to give Rafi a device to repair her ship. But they make a big point of the cube is broken. But we know that cubes regenerate. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's really hard to think they've taken the cube permanently out of action. At some point, right. that cube is going to fly again. Right. And it's probably going to be key to the resolution of things. Yeah. Uh, so they make their way across the landscape to this settlement. Uh, and speaking of the landscape, they yeah. do some really nice color filtering yep. of different portions of the field of vision to make things look colors that they wouldn't be on earth and it yeah. does it's it's nice to see tv shows being able to create effective alien environments yeah. just by changing the color of individual bushes and things like that right right <laughs> alien environments of southern california right yeah, <laughs> right. yeah otherwise you imagine this in black and white and that is so outside of los angeles <laughs> yeah. i know so much so many alien landscapes look like los angeles or uh, british columbia <laughs> yep. uh, nowadays so uh, they get to the settlement and they find lots of different twin pairs. These are obviously Sung type androids that Bruce Maddox has been creating. And apparently you stay with your twin constantly. I mean, you <laughs> never you never walk away from your twin for even a moment, apparently, based on what we see. <laughs> apparently. You're right. Uh, there's a we we see some that are gold skin, golden eyed like Data was. Uh, and those mm-hmm. mu- must be the earlier models. Um, and then the so- Soji and Dodge were the later refinement to make them more that's human looking. One thing that's one thing I kind of like about this scene, though, is we do see the different almost like variants or versions where you can see they're perfecting their craft that ended up with Soji and Dodge and a couple other. There's a couple other the pairs that look like they're pretty much human. Right. In appearance. There's uh, there's one the pair and one of them is called uh, Saga. And she is a uh, one of the twin pairs, and she recognizes Picard as Data's captain, which I thought was interesting that they they're carrying these memories. And and then we have the big the first big surprise, we see Brent Spiner on screen, yep. uh, walking out not as Data but as Doctor Doctor Alton Inigo Sung, uh, Nunian Sung's son. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Inconceivable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you have killed my father, prepared to die. Actually, you know, it's Nunian Sung's son. Uh, he has apparently taken up his father's 
uh, cause his, his father's work at creating androids, but obviously not as capable as Bruce Maddox was in the, he can create the bodies, but Maddox was all about the positronic brain. And that's where he had, you know, Maddox had the, uh, the, the, the strength uh, in, in this area. I like the way he introduces himself. I mean, num- it, it's a nice, it's a great moment because we're not expecting Brent Spiner to step on screen at this yep. moment. Yes. And then he introduces himself, Dr. Al- Alton Inigo Sung, mad scientist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which turns out he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I also like it's, you know, where Picard says it's, it's, you know, the face looks familiar. Picard says, you know, like I'm looking at data. He goes, data if he gotten old and soft. <laughs> right. You can imagine Brent Spiner uh, give it, throwing that line out. Uh, it's And it's really cool to see him doing a, a yet another Sung character, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's because he's played three Sung humans and three Sung androids. Yes. Um, by the way, one thing, speaking about the environment we see, this is so Southern California. Where are all the lightning storms we were told are here? Right. Um, because the characteristics that identified this planet were two red moons, which we see in orbit and constant mm-hmm. electrical storms. And I'm told that if you look really closely at at the night side of the planet from orbit, you can see electrical storms. Yes. But wow, there is no hint of them in, on the day side. It just looks like a beautiful Southern California day. There are. You have to look in the background of several scenes. You'll see lightning strikes off in the distance. On the horizon? Mm. Oh, okay. On the horizon or kind of behind, in the behind, uh, like uh, where Sutra is talking in front of everybody. You can see lightning kind of in the background, like when she's doing the, uh, about to do the Vulcan mind mill, you can see lightning oh. in the background, just flashes of it. Really subtle. Yeah. yeah I mean, which I- makes sense for the day, which does make sense for the day. Well, uh, we've had thunderstorms in the day. I mean, I was expecting something more like Ferenginar. Right. Just constant. Yeah. I mean, because Earth, you know, our planet has constant lightning storms at any given mm-hmm. moment. There are lightning storms all over. So if for it for them for this to be unique, like a, an identifiable mark of this planet, I would have expected a lot more like like Jimmy. Like, but well, you know. even even in the vision, though, the, the clouds weren't dark during the lightning storm. Yeah, you can see the lightning storm, but it looked more. They were much, much lighter. And that's kind of what they, I think they were going with, because, again, in the background, you can see kind of light clouds and lightning, okay. which okay. we don't see here on Earth very often. So uh, we, it's very dark. Yeah. We mentioned that uh, a gold skin version of Soji is there. This is Jana's twin pair sister, uh, Sutra. So like Soji, Sutra has lost a sister because Soji okay. lost Dodge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, and unlike any of the other pairs, I mean, this is. Uh, she is alone in this uh, condition uh, among all of yep. the other uh, androids, the synth on Capellius. And the, I, I saw that interview, the Ready Room interview with uh, um, Issa Briones. And as she was talking about this character, she was mentioning that maybe this is a key part of the motivation of Sutra, why she is the way she is. She has suffered mm-hmm. in a way that none of the other synths that she lives among have. Understand. And maybe has... Yeah acquired some anger about it and she certainly comes off as creepy i have in my notes as soon as we meet her that sutra is creepy way before Mm -hmm. she she does bad stuff right right and you know uh, isa brionis does a a great job of playing her she's a very different character than than soji she does a good job on that uh so uh she says she believes the admonition has been driving romulans insane for centuries as they as they go to the, what, what did you call it to me? The, the table of 
Uh, oh, the dinner table of madness. Yeah, the dinner table of yeah. madness, because it was never intended for organic mines, but for synthetic mines. And so, uh, Sutra it has, is, after all, not an organic table, but a synthetic one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, <laughs> so Sutra has apparently been doing some cultural appropriation of Vulcan culture and can do mind melds, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, I had a I that strained credibility for me. Yeah, uh, maybe you know I don't know. Yeah, I, I hope they. I'll be honest with you. I hope they don't try to explain it either. Like, oh yeah, well, yeah. there's a certain frequency the human brain operates on. It. No, right. I don't want right. to hear it. Just yeah, it's yeah. I, I I had a little bit of a trouble like the effect that a synthetic could do it. That that that's going a step further than I was. I felt like was plausible, but. Um, you know, it, but the only reason why they did it, it was the easiest way to get the data out of Agnes's head without yeah. her having to have this big, let me tell you everything I saw. Right, right, or, right. or they could have got a, got one of their Android tricorder things and just done a brain scan. I mean, we can pick up images from the visual cortex today. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of primitive, but by the 24th century, they should be able to say, just remember all that stuff and we'll record it for you. Right. So. The the admonition itself explains that organic life, so when she does this mind meld with Agnes, the organic life tries to create perfect versions of itself in synthetic life. This is a common theme, I guess, of organic life. But then it grows to hate and mistrust it and kill them. They kill themselves in the process. And an alliance of synthetic life stands beyond time and space, watching and waiting for their signal to come so that they can come and protect them by killing off the organics. Which it's a familiar theme. I think we've seen this in other things, haven't we? Yeah, this, we were on the verge of becoming Battlestar Galactica here. <laughs> the Cylons are waiting. <laughs> we, we've got Planet of the Skin jobs right in front of us. Yeah, it's really kind of w weird how how much like Battlestar Galactica this season is. And I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious that nobody's really called them out on it. <laughs> Yeah, a sutra is basically a six or a three, and yeah. Soji is basically mm -hmm. an eight who didn't know that she wasn't really, you know, boomer. Yep. Right, right. Or, uh, well, spoilers for an old TV show or Starbuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, she was an angel, but. Yeah, yes. So. Um, that was a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> Sung then, um, he admonishes Agnes for what she did to Bruce, you know, he, he, he for killing him. And but gives her a chance to repay her debt because he's working on uh, mind transference to move his consciousness yep. into a synthetic body. And uh, she calls it a golem, which is interesting. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so a golem is an artificial man. Um, yeah. It's from yep. Jewish Kabbalistic folklore. Um, right. But it, they don't actually say it's his consciousness he's wanting to transfer. Um, so I think it's likely it's going to be his consciousness that gets transferred, but I think to quote Yoda, there is another. <laughs> oh, interesting. I thought it was at least implied, uh, several times, at least Agnes implies that what she's, they yeah. need to keep later on. She'll say you need to keep me around because I'm working on this thing to save song. Yeah, she she basically basically comes out and said that we're we're working on this for him. Yeah, but yeah, maybe she it, doesn't. It's know. implied, but yeah. it's it's kind of one of those heavy, you know, hint, hint, hint type of implied. I mean, mm. it, it's I think it was pretty clear what they were getting at. All right, I, actually, it's not clear to me, so I'll have to ask you uh, when we get to the. Well, I mean, what? Yeah. Do you, what I mean, do you want to predict it? Do you want to? Do you think it's a spoiler to 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 say? 
I'll, I'll, the reason why I think it was it was pretty clear is you know she calls it a golem with you know the in you know yeah. recreated man or however you know artificial man with the mind transference. Well, up until Picard and team show up, who's the person that they'd have the mind transference for? There's only one human being right on this planet. So you wouldn't make it for someone else, except for maybe hoping that Bruce Maddox would return, which of course he didn't. Yeah. Um, there's only one person that soon would be building this for himself. Right. And then Agnes talks about, I'm doing, I can help him to save him. That's what I thought. You know, well, Jimmy, what's your, what's your theory? Well, I think they're, I think they are leading us to infer that Sung is going to transfer his own consciousness into the golem. Um, but I think that may be a fake out because there is someone else whose consciousness has been attempted to transfer before and failed. And it was data. And we've been told that you could reconstruct all of data's memories from a single neuron. Mm -hmm. But before was not sophisticated enough to handle that, which is why the initial transfer failed. And so I think it's quite possible that Sung is going to attempt to transfer his consciousness into the golem. But I also think it's possible that that's a fake out and they're going to try to transfer data's consciousness into the golem. Given that Brent Spiner said he would only do the series if Data stayed dead, if they didn't undermine Data's sacrifice, yeah. that would be an interesting fake out if they really did that. It it would. Also, part of his concern about Data staying dead isn't that he, uh, my understanding is because of his physical appearance has changed, but right. you give him a new body, it takes care of that problem. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Uh, mm, curious. Or we fix Picard by giving him a new body. <laughs> that that's would a, be interesting. That would be that. That's a, that's. I think I, I classify that as the most remote possibility. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. So Sutri, Su, Sutri, I'm, I've combined them. Sutra and Soji <laughs> discuss what to do next. Soji wants to run. Let's all get on board the La Serena. We can all get out of here. Uh, Sutra has a different solution. <laughs> she wants to call in the Synth Alliance to destroy all the organics. Uh, and that gives Soji doesn't reject it outright. She's disturbed by it, but she doesn't mm -hmm. reject it outright. She's off balance here. I mean, given that until recently, she thought she was one of those organics that they want to wipe out. Yeah. Meanwhile, Agnes is holding spot two. Uh, she's, you know, in, in, uh, in, was it Sung's office, uh, which is oh, Maddox, fun. Maddox's. It was huh? Maddox's office. I think it was, I think it was Maddox's. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It was Maddox's office. Um, uh, which I thought was fun to see Spot uh, coming back. Uh, they've yep. recreated Spot. Is it Spot a clone or a synth? Was what did we say? A synth. They said they created him. So okay, okay. Uh, she and Rios have a moment together. Um, yeah, with some really lame dialogue. Um, <laughs> she, he's 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 just told her. I mean, she says like, "Don't forget me," and he's like, "I could never forget you." And she says, "Oh, am I inolvidable?" And it's like, I just said you were unforgettable. Yes, that is what I meant. <laughs> you, just, you just say it in Spanish, doesn't change it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Rios and Rafi are going to go back to La Serena to fix it. Uh, they, uh, they're given this tool by one of the synths that magically will fix things, I guess. By the way, I wanted to notice R Rios is really reckless. I mean, she is a killer and he's still romancing her. Yeah. If it turned out that someone I was romancing, I mean, I'm not talking killing in self-defense. I understand that. Yeah. Yep. But if someone I've been romancing killed a patient strapped to a table, I'm sorry. 
you know, it, it, there are 50 ways to leave your lover and that's the time to use them. (laughs) (laughs) And now everybody's been earwormed. Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'd be afraid. Okay. She snapped once because of some subliminal thing put in her brain via Vulcan force Vulcan mind meld. Who's to say this hasn't happened before? Yeah. 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 Also, Derek is captured by the synths. Yes. He has been found and, and imprisoned. Um, I do want to get to that in just a sec, because I, I wanted to talk about this this moment between Rafi and Picard, which I really enjoyed. Um, she breaks the rules as she's leaving uh, to hug him and thank him. And she says she loves him and he's all awkward about it. And he says he does. She says he doesn't have to say it back. And and she looks awkward and he says, OK, he starts to walk away. Then he says, I love you. And then he walks away. Yeah, <laughs> it's this very yep. fun, awkward moment between the two of them. Nicely played. Yes, very nicely and, done. And Rios comes to that moment and going, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like this, that this healing that's going on between Rafi and mm-hmm. Picard, you know, she was hurt by him, by what he, you know, his abandoning of the, of the mission and his uh, sort of, uh, what she thought was this pompous, you know, ar- arrogance uh, 14 right. years previously that sent her into a spiral. I like this healing that's going on between them here. That's really nice. Well, it's, it's interesting because throughout, the series she's gone from calling him Picard to JL. Yeah. Like it happened like once and then it happened a couple of times that's and now true. that's all she's calling him. So yeah. Yeah. That's you can kind of see that change in her character where she's going back to her old patterns. Right. And then she, she, she and Rios, she take the fixer device to go back and fix La Serena. Right. And then Picard uh, tries to call Starfleet, uh, but is having trouble getting through uh, to get them to come Gee, and I help. I wonder why. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. So Narek, as you mentioned, has been imprisoned and he's trying to convince Saga, the one of the uh, synths, to, to to give him water. But Soji arrives in time to tell her not to trust him. Don't open. Don't drop the shield. He tries to convince Soji that the the meditation ritual that they went through on board the cube unbalanced her mind. Uh, but she's not buying it. <laughs> yeah. Soji no. is way smarter when it comes to romantic killers than Captain Rios is. She's like, sorry, you're a killer. I'm not having anything to do with you anymore. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, She tells her he loves her and she responds that she knows and he discusses her, but not as much as she discussed herself for pitying him, which is the ultimate like slam. Like I discuss myself because I pity you. The fact (laughs) I even had any feelings for you makes me like crawl. (laughs) I mean, it's that bad. It was that, that was a good, that was a good breakup slam there. Uh, By the way, the, uh, the, one of the reasons that Saga is, who is another Soji type Android, but not as, not as has more of the gold in her skin. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the reasons she is vulnerable to Derek, trying to get out of the cell by asking for water is as she explains we've never had a prisoner before right so right. this is their security procedures are underdeveloped and lax well <laughs> that's she's, right she's kind of naive anyways so yes yes well they're they're sheltered they've been living this sheltered life yep. on capellius um so so and she's got this really interesting hummingbird pendant that Derek yes. keeps looking at Yes, uh, we will see that again. I wonder if you can find that on Etsy. Uh, so, so Soji's now confronted with this logic of taking some life to save other lives and the, the logic of sacrifice. And is there no mm-hmm. calculus of life and death? And uh, and then what was it Picard who says it depends on if you're the person holding the knife, uh, which yeah. is a really mm-hmm. good response. I think, uh, you know, this. Well, and it's, it's interesting, too, because he, you know, he 
he's sitting there and he's getting very uncomfortable with this, this line of reasoning because it's starting to sound like a lot of theories that are used to say certain lives have value and certain lives don't. Right. Which comes into play later in the episode with the synths. I mean, he's essentially saying like the trolley problem is an interesting uh, theoretical way of thinking, you know, a, a, a thought problem. But in, when it comes down to it, <laughs> you know, the well, so sometimes ultimately logic alone is not the way to make these decisions about, you know, who lives and who dies. Uh, right. That and they, they actually they touched on this very early on in the episode, but it was so such a brief flash where they thought that they had disabled Narek's ship and that he was dying. And so she's like, well, let's just blast him out of the sky. Right. And Picard says, it's one thing to kill an enemy in battle. It's another thing to sit and watch them suffer and die right. that way. Right. You know, and so they kind of touched on it briefly. Then, of course, they did that. Oh, it really was a fake out. And he's actually behind them ready to blast the snot out of them. Yeah. We also have a line in here about fear is the opposite of logic, which is just not true. I have in my notes. It's right here. Fear is not the opposite of logic. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes fear is very logical. Yeah, it says uh, at one point, maybe all rationales for killing boil down to fear. But what if killing is the only way to survive? Uh, that, that, that's a, a note I made. You know, it's like, you know, what yep. if, you know, it, it's maybe not all well, rationales for killing boil down to fear. And, and I mean, that, that's that's like as Catholics, we have the just war theory. And that really is a part of it is, you know, we don't want to see war. We don't want to see people die. But, you know, with the proper application, of course it might be a necessity for self-defense. Right. And fear is a motive there, even if it's not you're afraid for yourself, it's you're afraid someone else is going to get hurt, and this is the only way to protect them. Exactly. Right. right. Uh, so Sutra apparently has a plan for Narek. She, she off screen, so I'm, I'm making a bit of an assumption, but I think it's a good, a solid assumption. Sutra kills Saga to yeah. let Narek get go in order to, Blame the organics as the reason to call in the synthetic alliance, you know, to, to drum up anger I, I against them. I think that's reasonable. I have a feeling they'll have a flashback in the next episode that showed just that, that she let him go and then killed. Killed Saga. That certainly would be the way to undermine her as the newly assumed leader. If, right. if she killed one mm -hmm. of their own. Um, right. Th which also has a very Battlestar Galactica feel. I mean, Cylons <laughs> don't kill Cylons until they do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a classic TV trope. Yeah, it is a classic trope. Also, um, it's not entirely clear to me what Sutra's plan for Derek is, but I think we'll find out more about that. I mean, he ends up just showing up at the cube, but we mm -hmm. don't get much further development once he's out. What I do find interesting is that um, apparently eyes are vital organs for these scents because you apparently kill them by shoving a hummingbird uh, pendant into their eye and just leaving it there. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of right. like staking a vampire. So, um, <laughs> so you know, it, it, it's it, they're like Daleks. Aim for the eyepiece. That's their vulnerable <laughs> point. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so we have this this scene where Picard tries to appeal to the the, the synths as a whole to run to let him advocate on their behalf before the Federation to you know, because the Federation has banned synthetic life. But of course, Sung and Sutra undermine him uh, because, you know, well, <laughs> 14 years ago, you didn't advocate for us. You you let the you know, your your advocacy didn't do much good either for the Romulans or for the synths, basically. And uh, so they reject him and they place him under house arrest. 
while Agnes pledges to help Sung making this golem, golem body, so she's allowed to stay free for the for the moment. I think that will be a significant uh, plot development in the future. That, that, that might be a little bit of a twist there. You're saying, yeah. Although she does her her heel turn is genuine, um, because Soji tells her, "If you're lying, would you die for your children?" Meaning the sense, and I will know if you're lying. Yep. And she says yes, and so uh, Sag- Sutra is okay with that. So she apparently was not lying. She was sincere about being willing to die for the sense. Right. There is a, uh, yes, that's true. I, I, I do remember that now. Uh, there was a line that Sutra throws at Picard saying, uh, are you in the Federation any different from the Romulans? Barring synthet- synthetics or banning synthetics was just a way of exterminating us in advance. Does that logically follow? Do you think that's a that's a logical argument? Is banning the synthetics a way of exterminating them in advance? Well, I mean, there's a line attributed to the Emperor Augustus with his um, uh, with his laws against bachelors, who he would refer to, you know, because they need to get the population of Rome up. Uh-huh. And um, he would refer to them as murderers of their own posterity because they weren't having children. And <laughs> I know I've seen similar comments from like Martin Luther about birth control, but I actually I don't I don't see not not creating sense or not creating new babies is just not the same thing morally as murder. Right. Yeah, it's, it's I, I agree with that. I mean, it's 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 a big step to say just because you're not creating it doesn't mean you're going to do anything to us who do exist. Right, right. So, yeah. uh, and the, then Sutra throws this line right in Picard's face. I'm not like you, Picard. I will rescue those I can rescue. My people will survive. Like that, of course, the clear reference to the Romulan uh, rescue that that failed, essentially, uh, for the large part, uh, which wasn't really Picard's fault. It was actually the Picard's fault. <laughs> yeah. Picard's speech, I, I thought, was foolish, and set up for failure. Uh, he's he's just it, it's complete. He's, now I, I'm not saying this is out of character for him, mm-hmm. but um, this grandiose speech, which I'm tired of Picard's speeches to a certain extent, <laughs> but uh, this grandiose thing of I'm going to go convince the Federation and everything will be great forever and ever, Amen, is like I, I was totally agreeing with uh, with Sung at that point to. You know that look, this didn't work before. What what on earth makes you think it's going to work now? Right. I also like the implication that Sung has to the sense: don't believe this guy because you don't know what happened before with him. Um, and and he's there's a tacit acknowledgement that Picard could be really convincing to these naive sense who who have never been off this planet and don't know the broader world. And so Sung is assuring them that uh, that there's more to this than what Picard is telling you. And he, and he, what he's saying is actually not plausible, despite how good it sounds. Right. Um, I liked that. Then they put Picard under under arrest um, and Soji agrees mm-hmm. to Picard being put under arrest. Um, so like, okay, she's had her own heel turn here. Yep. Uh, I like Picard's line to her, which is, um, you're becoming exactly what the Romulans feared. You will become the destroyer that they, that they, Mm -hmm. they have prophesied. So 
I mean, this this again is kind of a classic uh, TV trope of, yes, she, I mean, you can see her at one point when Sutra's talking, she's starting to kind of nod along and everything. Yeah. But then after Picard says about, you know, becoming the destroyer, you know, of course, this classic TV trope of really, you know, get him under house arrest so he's out of the out of the way and out of harm type of deal. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Soji is sincere about wanting him not to interfere. I think Soji at this point has gone over to the dark side. And I find I, I, I thought in the admonition when we see it from the sense perspective, it's like all organic life will uh poses this threat and soji and sutra is soji ends up agreeing with that um and i thought this ties into what we saw in discovery season two in some interesting ways where you had a future that had been wiped of organic life by synthetic Mm. life and so we may have some tie-in to what we saw there coming up in the next episode or in the future at any rate and I've seen that rumor that or that that supposition that control might make a an appearance. That's the interesting. Section 13 AI might yeah. make an appearance. This is mm-hmm. a this is a recurring theme, apparently, in, in uh, new track. So it's an interesting theory that that would come up. On the other hand, unless the Federation starts falling apart over the next two seasons because of attacks by AI, which would be the creatively interesting thing to do. Uh, yeah. Because we know the yep. Federation has partially fallen apart by Discovery Season 3. But unless they start tearing the Federation apart, unless the show becomes about that, we're heading for something that I really am cringing in advance about, which is a typical Star Trek expand the moral horizon, let's all reconcile with each other somehow plot where we get the quick quick re- quick resolution plot yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna teach the timeless synthetic people I- either we stop the the sense from contacting the timeless synthetic alliance or we e- even worse we talk the timeless synthetic alliance out of their timeless anti-organic policy that has been there for millions of years and suddenly convince them that we know better Right, right. That that's the typical uh, end of TNG or Voyager, <laughs> like wrap up as we stand around the bridge. You, you have a you have a big two parter, and then all of a sudden they destroy the time ship, and Voyager's fine again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we're going to end Discovery season three. Uh, that's I'm, I'm calling it here. So, and that's that's how we end this episode. We we have we have our cliffhanger for the the final episode of the season that's coming up. Uh, all, all the threads are going to get resolved. We're going to have all, like you mentioned, all, all this stuff is going to get uh, wrapped up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether, whether is Soji at all, all the synths, are they going to be continuing into season two or are we just, are they just a season one thing? There's a lot of questions as we enter into this final episode of what is, we know we're getting at least a, a second season of Picard. So, what does it mean for the characters we know? Is this story going to expand, extend, sorry, beyond this season, or is this going to wrap up here? It is a good question. I'm, I'm kind of curious how they how they plan to handle it. Um, so we'll find out. Uh, I I do. If you have any final thoughts on this episode before we get to some feedback, just just a couple. Um, I like how La Serena has the seatbelts like Enterprise E, where they just strap in automatically. <laughs> yes. Just comes right over their shoulder and everything. Now, one one thing I just want to throw out as a, a friend of mine mentions as a possible theory that not all the sins are based off of data. Because, hmm. of course, we know that lore 
was deactivated and torn down, you know, that he was, he was uh, dismantled, but we don't know where he's at. We don't know what happened to him. Mm. And uh, one possible theory is, you know, you mentioned, of course, uh, Sutra's, you know, that anger she has because she lost her twin. And that's, that's a possibility, but could there also be the possibility that some of the sins are based off of lore and she's one of them. Whereas Soji is based off of data. I saw one one theory in fan space that was positing that Sung himself may be lore with uh, some skin makeup or something. Oh, that's another good one. That's an interesting theory. Uh, Father Gray, I did, I did like that you had sent me a link earlier that said, uh, looking at the paint job of La Serena oh, yeah. that we see in the atmosphere, like in, in, in brighter light, it looks like, uh, Eddie Van Halen's guitar from, from the oh, yeah. band Van Halen. So yeah, the, the uh, red, the red and white guitar that he had back, you know, <laughs> 1984, uh, album. <laughs> so maybe that's a little bit of homage from some of the designers. I think I, I liked, I did like that. As I said, I, I, I doubt this is a coincidence. Yes. Yes. Jimmy, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Nope. Okay. So we have uh, some feedback from a listener. Thomas V uh, writes on Facebook regarding the episode Broken Pieces. He says, I've been listening to your secrets of Star Trek. In the discussion of Picard, I don't remember anyone's yet mentioning the relationship of the story to Frank Herbert's Dune. The backstory for Dune is that in the distant past, humans had made the mistake of building intelligent machines. They nearly wiped out humanity, but a man named Butler had rallied humanity to victory in what became known as the Butlerian Jihad. It seems to me that the writers of Picard want to build into Star Trek a story that would be a bit like a Dune prequel, or as we've talked about here, or like a rehash of Battlestar Galactica. So what yeah. do you think? Uh, Dune, Dune connection? Is this a common theme in science fiction literature? Robots kill humans? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And admittedly, I'm not I'm not familiar with Dune. I, I've seen the original movie with Patrick Stewart and yeah. read the original book. And I think that's about as far as I've gone. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen some of the miniseries and I saw the original movie, but I'm not familiar with its with its deep backstory. Same here. I'm, I read the I read at least the first book and then I got partway into the second one and I got lost and <laughs> never picked it back up again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, I, I think this is I mean. It's fairly common this idea of the the synthetic, the artificial life that rises up uh, to to take to surpass its masters and creators, uh, so that or at least kill its masters and creators, like Frankenstein. <laughs> right, exactly. right. To, to go way back. Well, thank you, uh, Thomas, for that feedback. Though that was that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I really like that. Uh, all right, so let's wrap things up. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek including Daniel B., uh, Aaron W., Rocco F., Teresa H., and Robert G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of this first part of the uh, two-part finale at In Arcadia Ego? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And of course, we'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the final episode of the season and our wrap up for the whole season of Picard uh, at an Arcadia Ego Part 2. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Yeah, thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, 
Hope and the odds make poor bedfellows. <laughs> 